Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I don't even know what episode of Extra Credit it is, but I know it's time. Long overdue. Hello, everyone. Welcome on this 15th day of February 2022. It's time to review all the stuff from UFC 271 that we didn't get to on regular MK. Of course, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm one half of the Morning Combat Duo. My partner, Brian Campbell, we do the regular MK Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but we don't get to get to everything that we would like to talk about on the show. So we have a little podcast within the podcast where we get to all the extra things. Okay, standard house procedures. If you're watching this on YouTube, please give it a thumbs up. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, whatever side of the screen it's on that I'm pressing. Hit that joint. Be a part of the movement. Support us. We really appreciate that when you do. And if you're listening on podcast, just give us a review on whatever platform you're listening. Be nice. Okay? So today on the podcast, the way it usually works is I focus on five fights. I'll probably focus on six today because there's one more I didn't list here that I am going to get to. But let's take a look at the list that we're going to talk about here. So I'm going to switch the order up, but not the fights themselves. Uh, Bobby Green is where I'm going to start with Nasrat Hakparast, Hanato Moikano versus Alexander Hernandez. Both of those um, ended up on the main card. I think Green was always there, but there were a couple of cancellations late. Hernandez versus Moicano was actually on the pre-prelims, and they moved it up to the main card wisely. I think it was a good call. I will get to Arlovsky versus Vandera or Vandera in, in, uh, at the end. Uh, Got to talk about Kyler Phillips beating Marcelo Rojo. Uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade defeating Sergey Morozov. What a hell of a fight that was. And then Jeremiah Wells beating Blood Diamond. Again, I will get to um, the Arlovsky and Vandera fight. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about here today. All right. Without further ado, let's get this party started. Let's start with Bobby Green defeating Nasrat Hakparast. Now, it should be noted that Hakparast's manager, Ali Abdelaziz, I believe I got this right if I didn't double-check. Double-check no matter what, but I believe what he had tweeted was either before the fight or during the fight or right after that Hakparast had both, I think was on cortisone shots and had um, like a broken foot, perhaps a broken hand. I mean, he was not in great condition to be in this fight. And, you know, he obviously lost his mother recently. You know, anyone who's ever had a death of a parent obviously knows how bad that impacts you, especially if you're a professional athlete. And he, of course, he has to travel and blah, blah, blah. And then on top of it, man, you know, this was a really tough assignment, especially coming off of the Dan Hooker loss, because Dan Hooker, another tough fighter. Um, Bobby Green's great. He's just great. He's been a great guy for a long time. I've actually enjoyed interacting with him. I've not had a ton of interaction with him over the years, but everyone I've had has been positive and different and interesting. And, man, he has been thugging it out for a while. 35 years of age. It's a little bit old for fighting, but 
I think he looks as fresh as ever, and he's got all of this veteran experience built up now. I mean, understand something. His resume takes him way, way, way back. Made his debut in 2008. This guy was all the way at strike force by 2011. He fought Jaceus Cavalcanti, who at the time was uh, not quite in 2011, but previous to 2011, was one of the top fighters in the world. Um, won all the rest of his fights in strike force, although a couple of submissions along the way. Uh, then moves over to UFC, and dude, he's been fighting tough guys, right? He has the losses that kind of stand out to your mind, Barboza Poirier and Rashid Megamedov back-to-back, but then he kind of got it turned around after that, had a nice run with Guido Venata and Alain Patrick, and now beats Aya Quinta and Hackbarast in back-to-back fights. I mean, the guy is finally putting a lot of good work together. He's beating good fighters. Now, of course, he has the loss to Faziv and Tiago Moises, so again, there's there does appear to be you know, how high in the division can he really go? It's up to him. I don't know. But what, what did you see in this fight? Dude, he was doing almost whatever he wanted. And actually, that's going to be the theme for a couple of guys here. The jab was pumping. Um, he was leaning forward with both shoulders. And then I sometimes if he wasn't off the jab, he was off the cross. Then he would hit with the jab. He was good about getting out of the way of what Hack Parras was trying. And really the thing that I think is going to get folks, you're going to hear me say this a lot, not just on today's podcast, but you're going to hear me say it a lot over the coming months and maybe years, depending on how MMA evolves. What I'm about to say is true. What I'm about to say is so almost obviously true, but it is worth pointing out in MMA because while what I'm about to say is true in boxing and kickboxing, Sanda and other kinds of kickboxing, the reality is it's not that big in MMA. And for the ones who do it, they have a huge advantage over their competitors. Slipping. I talked about it on the... On my personal channel, I did a huge Shavkat Rachmanov feature. It was the same there. Slipping. If you can slip and then throw offense on top of it, the the amount of stuff you can do in MMA in terms of who you can fight, what kind of punishment you can exact, and what windows are made available to you by virtue of that ability, it is so far above what the other guys can do, what a lot of other guys do. And again, it's not like one thing is always right and one thing is always wrong. There can be circumstances where you need both, one or the other. So I want to be clear about that. But what I would say is if someone doesn't really have the ability to slip, they can't really do it, and so they're constantly having to cover up with their face, what they also do is they don't just cover and then move because that by, even, even that wouldn't be great because by the time you hold your hands up, they're they're off somewhere else. But what will happen is they'll bring their hands up, and then they'll back up. And that's what you would want to an extent, right? Like get out of the way of the punches, block, and then reset. But the problem is if you have to constantly reset, that means you have to renegotiate that distance all the time. And you've done nothing to deter them because they know they can just throw and occupy your hands, and then they can go to the body, they can go for a double leg, they can go whatever. Bobby Green didn't necessarily do all of that, but you get the idea. Hack Parast was kind of stuck here. I think I looked it up. The guy's 26 years old. I mean... He came to the UFC very early. He got thrown to the deep end, certainly of late. I think some other parts in his career. Um, you know, I just, I would say that, you know, again, trying to fight Bobby Green with that skill set is going to be difficult. It's, especially, and you're injured on top of it. Like, that was not, you know, who the hell knows what the right answer is and what, whether he should have taken that fight because maybe he needs the money. Maybe he really thought he could win. There's a lot of things. But if you were advising him, and I'm sure they, ha- you know, listen, in fairness to the management and everyone else, I'm sure they had a conversation about whether or not he should do this. But in retrospect, it wasn't like he ever got close. There were a couple of times that you saw Green get hit, but as they noted on the broadcast, Green has just always been good. These guys who are good at evasion 
it's not just that they, they can slip and get out of the way, which he can do, and you saw Bobby Green doing constantly. It's also that they can roll, and so the punches bounce, or if they land, they can kind of roll with it so it doesn't land fully when they move. Um, so, you know, yes, Hack Parast had a couple of moments, but by the time that was over, dude, he was just getting doubled up on the jab. I mean, he was getting hit with three, four, five punch combinations. He was trying to back up Bobby Green, but Bobby Green did almost whatever he wanted. Uh, that was a really, really strong performance from Green. You knew he was capable of that. UFC commentator John Anik has lobbied uh, in Vitso on the broadcast to get Bobby Green a main event on a fight night, which I think if you look, look at main events for fight nights, Bobby Green is deserving at this point. Um, how far he can go, again, 35, I'm not so sure. But he's got real ability, certainly. in the, He's got real ability everywhere, actually. Green's pretty well-rounded, but certainly has proclivities towards stand-up, evasion, pop-and-go. He was he was in command in that fight, and that was a really, really strong showing and good for him as a consequence. Can't wait to see what happens next for Bobby Green. For Hack Parast, I believe this is a bit of a bad run for him. What does this put him in, ultimately, in the UFC? Two losses in a row, not terrible. Um, two sixty Again, and he went up after getting two wins. Um against Rafa Garcia and Alexander Munoz, but then he had Hooker and Green back-to-back. -back. It's just too much to ask of him at this stage. But in the future, it, we'll have to see. All right, how about Alexander Hernandez versus Hanato Moicano? Boy, Hanato Moicano, we talked about it at 155, or 145, excuse me, ha, you know, showed real flashes, but then at, uh, against some of the better guys, just kind of kept coming up short then. He moves up to 155, and I think it's been mostly a different story. Now, he did get knocked out, obviously, by Fazeev, you know, but Fazeev is Fazeev. He's a bad motherfucker. Then he beats Jai Herbert, and he, and he ran over Alexander Hernandez. And it should be noted, it's funny, like, if he beats guys, he beats them usually to a pulp. Calvin Cater, notwithstanding. But uh, Cub Swanson, he finished. Demir Hadzovic, he finished. Jai Herbert, he finished. And Alexander Hernandez, he finished. Um, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty remarkable that when he gets wins, they're authoritative. Although when he gets losses, they tend to be authoritative too. Fazeev knocks him out. Chan Sung Jung TKOs him. Aldo TKOs him. Brian Ortega TKOs him. So keep that in mind. Still not relevant here. Alexander Hernandez, he appeared to be with um, Mark Montoya over at Factory X. Hard to go wrong with Mark Montoya at Factory X. One of the best trainers in the game. Smart. Um, you know, certainly knows the game in and out. And I thought he was doing a lot of good things. He was trying to move in and out of range. He was trying to set up his punches and strikes. He was showing a lot of movement. He was varying up his strikes. He was going to the body. He was going to the head. He was going to the legs. But the problem is he wasn't really – at okay, I should say at times Hernandez was quite capable of getting a guy like Moicano to um, – bite on feints, cover up, defend. And 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 Hernandez was landing, especially when he went to like the body and set that up really well. I thought that was really good. But Moicano's got pretty good boxing, really good boxing as a matter of fact. He can slip and counter, which is what he did several times in this contest. He would slip and then throw the uppercut. He would slip and throw the overhand. He would slip and throw the counter too. And not always from when this stance happened, but usually from the stance. Alexander Hernandez was switching stances both ways, but you just notice when he switched to southpaw, Moicano had a lot more success. And he was landing anyway, but he had a lot more success that way. I think that Hernandez can do both stances, but I don't think his defense is equally good from both stances. I think when he's dealing, he can probably deal really well. When he's dishing out, he can dish out real well. He can switch side to side and keep people guessing. But when you've got a guy like Moicano who is waiting for you to throw 
when he knows that your defense is not going to be as stout from a particular stance or can just make, you know, even if he's not even thinking about that, he's just making reads in real time, which is what I think was happening. It was tough, dude. So, like, one problem was the leg kicks were pretty good, but the one problem was Hernandez wasn't really giving Moicano anything to really worry about. By contrast, Moicano was, and I think that narrowed some of what Hernandez was able to do. Also, pretty impressive, like, the takedown ability of Moicano and the ability to pass and hold and everything else he needed to. Obviously, Hernandez can scramble and did, uh, certainly in that first round, able to get back to his feet, but Moicano was, you know, really showing a lot of different skills, keeping Hernandez engaged and worried and, for a time, backing up for a while. Anyway, the final thing closed where he... You do see that um, Hernandez made a good read, actually. Moicano's getting off to his right side to get out of the way of what he perceives as a punch. But actually, Hernandez times it and notices that um, Moicano keeps dipping to his right, keeps dipping to his right, and actually times the punch not to come over the top, but then to go around and in front, and, and it lands, actually. But the problem is he doesn't touch and move or then touch and then follow. He just kind of touch and then falls into the clinch. I don't know if it was the way that the punch landed or the way he threw or just un, un, unavoidable uh, you know, clash of the way it worked. But as soon as he got there, what you saw Moicano do was kind of roll with the punch and then immediately fire, uh, I think it was a left hook right hand, or excuse me, a right uppercut left hook. And the problem was one punch misses. The uppercut kind of lands on the ribs, almost armpit. But the left behind it was right behind it, and Alexander Hernandez never saw it coming. So he gets hit once in the ribs, no big deal. But then he gets hit clean, and then Moicano just bah, bah, just pushes him back with this machine gun blitz of punches, and then eventually uh, puts the choke on him and, and uh, closes the show. Again, it just goes to show you, these guys who are going to want to start out from the outside, they're going left to right, they're going left to right, they're going high, low, they're faking a leg kick, they're doing all this, they're going high, low, they're trying to faint, they're trying to fake, they're, they're stepping into feints, and they go to the body. If you have good reactive boxing and you can begin to pick up on some of the things that those guys are doing as they make entries, there's just going to be all kinds of offense for you. You know, and It's a hard way to fight um, to, unless you have like a – few circumstances but one is you got to have a real clear difference in ability between oh that's not quite so true but it's a hard way to win it's a hard way to win because you can't unless you can really sting a guy and they've got good boxing i, I think it turns out that like maybe hernandez didn't want to wrestle because he was fearful of the takedown or rather the the choke guillotine or otherwise but I would humbly submit that I think that was a missed opportunity by him I think at least mixing it up a little bit more probably would have been a good idea because as long as Moicano feels like he can comfortably counter with his boxing in the pocket, like especially against someone who might be positionally overcommitting as they throw, that's somewhat debatable, but at least there might be some of that. Um, it's a tough way to fight. It's a tough way to fight. All right, third on the list, uh, Kyler Phillips taking on, uh, I'm going to pronounce it like a gringo so I don't you know, enrage half the audience here. Uh, Marcelo Rojo, Marce Marcelo Rojo, but it's Rojo um, from Argentina. You know, Argentina, for folks who may not know, even in, during like one of the original cast members of the Ultimate Fighter, Alex, I forget his last name, he was Argentinian and, and Bellator under Bjorn Rebney had a lot of Argentinians. You know, I, I think Mexico is one of the more preeminent Spanish speaking countries now in terms of producing MMA fighters. All of them produce it to some extent. 
Um, but Argentina was one of the original ones. They've always had, a, you know, Brazil's always been the, the dominant powerhouse by a, by a wide margin in South America. But Argentina uh, certainly had some role to play and always has in MMA, at least in terms of the modern era. And Marcelo Rojo, I think, is a very talented guy. He was, this was a way too difficult an assignment. Now, I give credit to Rojo. He was trying through the entire thing. He was getting beat up through two rounds, and he still came out in the third and really tried to do what he could. And if Kyler Phillips made any mistakes, he tried to take advantage of it. I'll give you a perfect one. DC noted it on the broadcast um, where he goes for this sort of he uh, head outside single and tries to, to dump him, but doesn't. Basically, the long story short is if your head and your body are on the same side, when you try for a takedown, they're just going to hip out and move, which is what you saw. His head is on the same side of the of uh, the legs. His his head and his legs are on one side of the body. If you're trying to do that, you're, you're leaving the other. You basically don't have enough control of the hips to make it work. Your body has to be across them. It's like a guillotine defense, right? You got to get across the body. That's the way that you can um, finish that takedown. So when he didn't, Marcelo Rojo got right up. He popped right to his feet, but dude. Kyler Phillips, man, how old is this kid? You know, because he's not a finished product. Everyone's looking at him like he's amazing. And yes, he is. He is very amazing. Uh, but let's give him some time. He's 26. Holy shit, folks. How good is he now? I don't know. Obviously very good. But I don't know. But what I do know is I almost don't even care how good he is now. Because at 26, to be as good as he is, I'm thinking about what his limits are going to be, when he's going to get to what he can actually really do. This kid is, first of all, very well-trained. Shouts to the folks at the MMA lab. Boy, they did a great job in general, specifically with Kyler Phillips. He is coming along the right way. Dude, he is getting it all together. He is, first of all, he still keeps a high pace, but he didn't go crazy this time. And he, the guy was overmatched, so keep that in mind. That's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is, do the diversity on his strikes is incredible. Um, he can play the levels. He could play inside game when he needed to. He could play outside game, mid-range game. He could play, um, he, you know, a couple of things on the wrestling weren't super clean, but most of it was just dominant and perfect. He also really enjoyed an athletic advantage. Like, he was much stronger than his opponent. He was quicker than his opponent. Like, there was this one time where he was trying to go for uh, either a Kimura from Mount and tries to finish the Kimura. Um, Marcelo tries to turn into it so it doesn't go behind him. And then Phillips just used that to ride himself into Mount. I mean, you know, this is a guy who I bet for people. I, I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> there was always dudes when I were training who I like, we started at that gym at roughly the same time, but they were half my age and they were like, super good athletes and it was just shocking how far and how fast they would go i bet this dude started around other dudes uh in the gym at the same time compare them and see how far they've come along i guarantee you he's the leader of the pack he just has that written all over him now again not a perfect performance there were some times marcelo rojo was able to mix up his strikes go top and then jab to the body that was nice work there's a couple times he got caught clean coming in where the feints were good but not great. They didn't really get him to bite, and so he got hit. But this is very few and far between. This is very little. In general, what I noticed from Kyler Phillips was, again, huge athletic advantage. He was setting things up, in general, quite well, landing almost anything he wanted, um, getting into, again, I mentioned, getting into ranges that he wanted, getting out of the ranges that he wanted, the diversity of strikes, the leg kicks, the body kicks, punches, punches from combination, punches he set up off feints, delayed action, you name it. He did everything he basically wanted to here. This was a, for, you know, it's not a masterclass in the sense that this is the best he'll ever be or the best that any 
you know, what, what weight class is bantamweight is ever going to be. It's not what I'm saying, but in, in terms of, you know, how long I bet he's been training and what he's able to show, this is like for this level, this is masterclass level for, you know, for, for what we're talking about here. He looked awesome. And as athletic and young as he is, I'm telling you, if anyone gets this video to him, just please, Kyler Phillips, I cannot tell you how to live your life, nor can I say that I lived a life that uh, everyone should mimic. But what I can say is if you can keep yourself on the straight and narrow, you have all the ability in the world to do extremely impressive things in this in this sport. But you got to stay committed. You got to stay on the track. You got to stay, um, you know, just just working out the way. Just do everything you've been doing, and it will take care of itself. But that dude can fight. Pay attention to Kyler Phillips. I think as good as he is, he can beat good fighters now. He can beat good fighters now. But 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 because he's so young and his potential is so high. I think it's going to be critical that they slow roll this guy a little bit, let him keep getting the kinds of experiences he needs. And in a couple of years, this dude is going to be a fucking hammer, a hammer. Um, how about this? One of the best fights of the weekend, certainly on that card, irrespective of placement, Douglas Silva de Andrade takes on Sergei Morozov. Morozov, another Kazakh fighter, not the first one. That would be Shavkat Rachmanov. But these Kazakhs, boy, they are they are nothing to play with, except he kind of – I'm not sure what went wrong for him, even though I rewatched the fight. Let's go through here for just a second. Douglas Silva de, de Andrade looks like he could win a bodybuilding contest. Folks think all you have to do is just take enough steroids and you can win. No, everyone takes steroids. So you actually have to have, like, real genetics that look aesthetically good. A guy like uh, Silva de Andrade just has dumb genetics. Uh, and I say that as a compliment when it comes to being just absolutely fucking yoked. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sergey Morozov was the authoritative leader early. I mean, he was bouncing in and out. He was landing jabs, crosses. He drops uh, De Silva, de, Silva de Andrade with an uppercut and then is just all over him. Not a lot of head movement from Silva de Andrade early, which is why Morozov, who was nice and loose, who could pop in, pop out, uh, his hand speed getting into placement. Silva de Andrade never saw it coming, gets drilled, gets dropped. You know, and just gets absolutely hammered. Blood is streaming down his face by the time he gets back up. And he's still getting lit up a little bit after that, although he did better once that was over. But the big key was, I couldn't tell if Morozov got kind of overly excited or just let his guard down. Or one thing Silva de Andrade was doing was before he was kind of pot-shotting with single shots, you know, coming over the top or whatever. By the second round, he was putting punches together, and he leapt into range with a body shot and then an overhand, and it worked. It landed, and it rocked Morozov. And he actually landed it another time later in the fight, but he was finally able to hurt this guy. Now, Morozov wasn't totally out right away. He made a wrestling scramble of it, but then there was just another one where 
Silva de Andrade hits him with, out of nowhere, a spinning back fist, and then follows up, takes him down, hand fights both directions for a little while, finally secures the choke and chokes him out. But dude, Silva de Andrade was up against it, having been rocked, dropped, taken down, beat up on the ground. I mean, that first round, not quite because he got up with enough time and then made a little bit of a push at the end of it. That first round was, I'm not going to say borderline 10-8, but not too far from 10-8. I mean, as 10-9 as 10-9 gets, and not too far from 10-8. And then to turn around, you know, get your offense going, leap into range with a two-punch combination as opposed to just kind of like probing in the dark with one. And he's obviously a powerful guy. He's obviously got real skills on the mat. And then you saw it come to life there. That was a great, great job by Douglas Silva de Andrade. And it shows you in MMA, man, you can be better than your opponent. That's why everyone's like, oh, if you win all your fights, you're the best guy. You were the best guy that night. I don't know if you're the best guy overall. The, the reality is, um, I mean, yes, if you win all of your fights, so we're talking about Adesanya or, or Habib or something, then you might be the best guy. But the, the point I'm trying to make is on the right night, and Silva de Andrade might actually be better, but the point I'm trying to make is Morozov, that was a winnable fight for Morozov. Right, that was a very. I mean, that was a fight he was in total command of through five minutes. For him to lose control like that, either because his gas tank wasn't there, his nerves were, or simply he was he was surprised by what Silva de Andrade was able to muster afterwards. Dude, your margin for error at the top is so minimal. How many times have you heard me say this? It's like it's, I'm on a broken record at this point, and I apologize for it. But making mistakes. Making mistakes is, it can be anyway, quite costly at this level. Silva de Andrade, with a slow start, was able to figure it out after the fact, but that nearly cost him. You do not have, and as you go up the ranks, that that margin for error gets shorter and shorter, and then you get to a case where you have you know, uh, Adesanya versus Whitaker too, where your margin for error is almost non-existent. Um, but even here, you can feel that difference. If you are not careful, I, and, and for Morozov and for Andrade, de Andrade, if you're not careful, dude, someone is going to light your ass on fire in this in this world. Speaking of which, we go to Jeremiah Wells taking on Blood Diamond. I put this on the list not because this was by any stretch of the imagination the best fight on the card or even one of the better fights on the card, but because the guy had Blood Diamond had a little bit of um, uh, a name from being involved with CKB and uh, Israel Adesanya. I thought it was worth talking about here. Not a great showing for him. His name is Mike Mathitha. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, so please forgive me if I'm not saying it correctly. I will call him Blood Diamond just because that's easier for me to pronounce. Um, but Jeremiah Wells comes out with this weird, like walking along the octagon, falls over, and Blood Diamond had a chance to just drill him when he was off balance, misses, which is not the end of the world. It happens. But then after that, it was just all Jeremiah Wells. He was able to get the takedown, body lock, um, turn him in one direction, and spin him back over the empty plane, which is what he did, took him there was eventually able to uh, take the back, and then from there was uh, sunk in the choke and didn't quite have it right, right away. But, dude, you get these strong wrestler types. All they have to do is get to, like, three-quarters of the position. Not with everyone, but with somebody potentially overmatched. If they can get here, what they'll eventually do is they'll just bring their body to it. They'll just hide their hands. They'll drive their elbow over and back. Like They'll find little ways to sneak a three-quarter position in to all the way, which is what you saw there. And they can kind of he-man it. So even if it's not fully, fully in, they can just kind of, you know, row their elbow back and just really make things terrible for you, which is what you saw there. You know, I'm sure he's got ability on the feet, Blood Diamond. I'm sure this was not the showing that he expected. I'm sure that nothing went according to plan. So I would be cautious about 
um, how do I say this? I'd be cautious about overestimating how good or bad he is. Not a great showing. Certainly on the ground, he's got a ton of work to do. But, you know, UFC debut, big, strong guy like Jeremiah Wells you're up against. Um, you know, you get the idea. Um, two more things here. Last but not least, I'll do a couple of uh, honorable mentions. Andre Orlovsky defeating Jared Vandera split 29-28. Now, he figured it out later. He was able to make some adjustments later. But it just blows my mind that these guys... It's amazing. Arlovsky's takedown defense has forced guys to basically want to wrestle with him or uh, strike with him. But then his ability to move, reset, faint, get off angle, slow the fight down, they just don't have an answer for it at all. And they have difficulty setting up their strikes so that they don't get countered either. So he doesn't get hit with a ton of leg kicks. He checks them. He gets out of the way of a lot of them. They just can't get their offense going. He did get the offense going in the third, partly by playing with ranges, getting a little bit closer, I think you know, being first, really kind of getting after it, getting Arlovsky to bite on some of the feints, he was able to have a little bit more success. I'd like to pull the numbers up here for this fight if I can. Um, so according to fight metric, Vandera a little bit busier, 190 to 140 total strikes, landing 102 to 71. Uh, that's overall. But in the first round, Arlovsky outstruck him again numerically, 30 to 23, much closer, 2019 in the second. But I thought Arlovsky did do the better work. By the way, no takedowns attempted by Vandera. And then the third round, that's where it switches. Vandera had 28 to Arlovsky's 14. So um, I will say this is a little bit unlike other fights I've seen from him where even by the third round guys don't figure it out and he's usually coasting here Vandera it was able to realize he could play with the ranges a little bit and do a little bit more with it and I think um was a winnable fight by him Vandera had a winnable fight here and didn't and I use Arlovsky as kind of like this you know he he's he's like a if you can beat Arlovsky there's a real hope for you it doesn't mean you're going to be a champion but like if you can beat him you've got some real ability and if you don't probably means you're not going to get very far. This is a borderline case. I bring this up to say Vandera probably wants this one back, especially since he did figure things out by the third. A lot of times guys, again, the third, as I mentioned, against Orlovsky in the third have not figured it out. So don't write off Vandera just yet. Let's see what he can do. He did look good in the third. He did figure things out. He just got off to, again, Orlovsky has such a capacity to define the complexion of the fight that these guys can't get out of gear and uh, and he paid for it there. Last but not least, I'll put this on here as well, just because it's worth bringing up. Uh, Carlos Olberg, also out of um, City Kickboxing in New Zealand, defeats Fabio Chirant, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, 30-27 across the board. Um, nice win by Olberg, but Chirant just not giving him a fight, really. I, I, I try to be as... Um, understanding as I can be in these situations, but I also have a responsibility to just call what I saw there. I'm not in that cage. I'm not a better person than anyone who gets in that cage on this night or any other night. I don't mean to say that, but I, I have a hard time understanding how you could argue Sherat made a full-throated effort to win. Um, he had a couple of nice moments, especially when he had delayed timing on some of his overhands where he would kind of get into distance. And then you would imagine like in a, on a three punch combo, it's not that, nah, right. There's a, there's a rhythm to it. Bomp, 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 bomp. He would do bomp, bomp, way to beat and then throw. And then, uh, there was one of those that landed. It was really nice. He actually had a moment there, but then in general, just wasn't trying, dude, what were the numbers on this? Was he in the single digits 
every round. Let me pull this up. I'd love to know. Uh, here for Carlos Olberg and Fabio Chirant. Yeah, dude. I mean, this is terrible. Um, these are his numbers over the course of the fight. He landed four significant strikes in the first. He landed seven in the second. He landed two in the third. He landed a total of 13 significant strikes in the entire 15 minutes. Dude, you know, I think he lost all of his UFC fights, if, if memory serves. Yeah, he lost all four of them, all contender series. And then Alonzo Menafield, William Knight, and Carlos Alberg. He's not, you know, that's just probably not UFC material, candidly. Um, if you don't win on the contender series, actually he got finished on the contender series. And then, you know, it wasn't like he was fighting bitches or something. He was fighting good guys, but even against Alberg. Um, he just wasn't even, I don't know how much he was really trying to be honest with you. Uh, I, I know that these are difficult, but when you put in that kind of an effort, it's hard to make the case that you did everything you possibly could, but okay. Neither here nor there. How did Olberg look? Um, okay. He looked good. He looked to be in great physical condition. Uh, I'm sure he was well-trained, you know, when he's flowing, he's getting out after it, but dude, his defense seems like it's going to be a problem. Part of it's his style. He's got a hands down kind of MVP style at times. So that's not going to be great. Uh, you're, you're going to be relying upon that Izzy style evasion, which if you're good at is a problem for your opponents. If you're not, it's going to be a problem for you. I think he's I think he's got some ability there, to be clear. To be clear, I think he's got some ability. Um, but he does seem to get hit a lot. If you look at his numbers, we only have three of them. One of the contender series and then these two. Uh, strikes absorbed per minute, four. That's pretty high. Strikes landed is eight, which is extremely high. So he, you know, he's he's dealing in general. He's dealing, um, but there's he does get hit a lot, and that's something that's going to be a bit of a problem for him uh, if he doesn't tighten it up. So we'll see how that goes. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen. That is extra credit episode twelve. Just a little bit from the weekend's fights. Good stuff there all the way around. Yeah. All right. Like this video. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much for watching. There's going to be a regular MK back tomorrow. We're going to get you ready for the weekend's fights. We've got Bellator. We've got Knuckle Mania. We've got all kinds of stuff coming up. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, what was your favorite fight of the weekend? What did you like? What did you not like? Leave a comment below. We'd love to see it. Okay? All right. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'll see you all next week. And until then, enjoy the fights. <laughs>